I had to be, I had to be strong. And, and it was my sister that my sister's a doctor. She came and stayed with us during this traumatic time. And um, she noticed that I just re-energized when I went to the horses like that. She, she witnessed it and she was just like, Oh, please, you know, you've got to do this. You, this is, this is what you need in your life. Like this is your fountain of energy and you need to find a way. And so I think that that was the last push for me. That was like my sister saying, nope, I see it now. It's, you can't ignore this any longer. You've got to make this your life because you need it right now. There is a depth and a breadth to our lives that largely goes unexplored. As an equestrian life mindset coach and host of this podcast, I am here to lead you on that exploration. Deep conversations covering topics in and out of the show ring with industry leaders and unsung heroes alike sharing their stories and what makes their journey unique but relatable at the same time. We all have stories to share and lessons to trade, something we've learned from a horse or from each other. So relax and be ready to listen with more than just your ears. I'm Tracy Mitchell. Welcome to Hitting Your Stride. I'm excited to welcome Lise LeBlanc to the podcast for today's episode because she's leading the charge for the new discipline of working equitation here in Ontario. Lise is a retired teacher with 25 years of classroom experience under her belt, and she left the chalkboard behind to answer the call she couldn't ignore from the equine world. Lise is a student of the classical method that she's learned for more than 15 years of study. She credits training from the likes of Nuno Oliveira, Alua Podaski, and Walter Zettel, to name a few. In addition to being at the forefront of working equitation, she trains her horses in French classical dressage. Arriving here wasn't a smooth or easy road for Lise to travel, as she had to make a difficult pivot away from something she'd known for most of her working life to follow the flow of her dream to working with horses. This metamorphosis came for her at a time when she needed it most, and it proves that you don't need to be in a perfect place to make bold choices that result in dynamic changes. I really enjoyed the fact that Lise focuses a lot of our conversation around the principle of being authentic with the horses, with others, and within yourself. And something else that I found particularly enlightening was how Lise draws parallels between working equitation and yoga, something she's intimately familiar with. So get ready to be energized as you begin your own journey to authenticity, as I welcome Lise LeBlanc to Hitting Your Stride. All right. Welcome back to Hitting Your Stride. And today I have with me Lise LeBlanc. Welcome, Lise. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I love this show and I'm honored to be here. Ah, well, I greatly appreciate your support and I'm excited to have you here. You have a very interesting story. You have an interesting um goal, like your your passion and um your, like I said, your story is very interesting and has multiple facets to it that I think the audience is really going to enjoy. So let's get started a little bit about you. You got your love of horses from your grandfather, a farmer and a horseman who worked with draft horses and standard breads in New Brunswick. Can you remember what it was that hooked you so early to horses? Oh my gosh. So, you know, from listening to your podcast, I've listened to, you know, this sort of common story that we all have, that we have this like passion from a very early age. And I have been a horse lover, you know, from before I could even talk, I think. And, um, you know, my first recollections of horses. Um, so I grew up, my father was military. And so we didn't grow up on a farm or I had no access to horses, you know? So my first exposure to horses was this book called A, a Little Black, A Pony. And I think I was like, I don't know if you know that, but like, um, I apparently memorized it. And so I was this, you know, very verbal two-year-old and I memorized the pony, the, the book page to page. And, um, you know, that was kind of like the story in the family, how I, 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 I had this book committed to memory. And 
sort of obsessed on horses ever since um, there's the story of me not wanting to get off the, the carousel. And so my parents learned at a very early age that I had this, this passion for horses. And I think, um, so my first exposure to real, a real horse was with my Pepper in New Brunswick. And I think I was probably about five or six when we first went there. And I was just, you know, I just remember myself standing at the door, boots on, ready to go to the barn, you know, as a small child. And I had, like, he had many grandchildren. So this was a very big French family. And, you know, it, it, there's this little girl by the door waiting to go to the barn with prepare, you know? And um, I remember my grandmother would sort of stay in, you know, in French, like she's too young to go to the barn, you know, like this is this, you know, and my grandfather would sit there and he'd be looking at me, you know, and I'd have this eye, you know, and he, we seemed to have this, there seemed to be some communication there. Like he, he recognized something. And of course my parents were like, you know, good luck. She's going to the barn. <laughs> <laughs> good luck trying to stop her. Cause I'm pretty sure she'll stay there all day. And so I finally went into the barn, you know, with my prepare and he had this this draft horse named Queen. And I'm sure her head, I could have fit inside her head, just a giant <laughs> mare. And um, I remember just seeing this relationship that he had with her and just the smells and the, this, I was just in heaven with this experience, watching this. And there wasn't a lot of, there was some intonations and body language and whatever, but I was in absolute heaven in just with my prepare and this horse and you know he would lift me up put her on her back and we we'd walk around and I just wanted that to last forever and but what really struck me was the relationship that he had with her you know that there, there was this space that I don't think very many people were in that space with my grandfather mm. you know I think that this was a space that he and she you know, spent a lot of time. I mean, they plowed fields. They they fed a family of 14, oh, you know, wow. him and this horse. Like what kind of relationship is that where you spend so much time with the horse and there's so much depending on you? And and I think that that's what, what I experienced was this beautiful space that he had that that was almost sacred. And it involved, you know, uh, a lot of a lot of things. And I, and I wanted, in fact, I wanted to keep that connection so bad that I, I think I borrowed my brother's jeans um, to go to the barn and I would, I knew my mother was going to wash them. So I hid them in a bag and I kept them <laughs> in my closet in the city. So I could open the bag and like smell, smell the, the jeans. Smell yeah. The jeans. Oh yeah. my so goodness. Lose connection. So that story, I mean, you and I have known each other just briefly before this, before this interview, but knowing what I know of you and talking to people who know you, that just totally, I think, sets us up for the rest of this conversation, because for you, awesome. everything is all about a feeling. It's all about that connection. And, and your primary sport yes. has been dressage. Yeah. Um, so into this next question, what is it about dressage that appeals to you? And I'm I'm sensing it is based from what you observed from your grandfather. It's that connection. I think so. I mean, when you I think it was Xenophon that said, like, you don't want to ride a slave into battle. Right. Like, it, mm. And so, you know, he he outlined in detail how to sort of create this partnership with your horse. Right. Because you know, and I think that what I sensed from my grandfather was if you if you if you want a partner to do work with you, you have to have a sacred space with them. Like you, you have to preserve that, you know, um, because at the end of the day, like you've you got to get things done or you want to get things done. Right. So obviously he had a very magical connection that I picked up on at a very early age. And I mean, when I see when I look at dressage. And what appeals to me about dressage is this, um, yeah, it's hard to put into words, but I was actually reflecting on it just a moment ago. And I think, I think what, what I love about it is that you are, you're bringing out the poise and the beauty of the horse and their self-expression. That's the point of dressage. Okay. It's the, the, the exercises that we do in dressage are a means to that end. 
the exercises are not the end themselves. Mm -hmm. So we're athleticizing the horse in dressage so that we can allow them to express their beauty. And that's the point. That's the point. And to be, to be able to communicate that with your horse when you're riding it is like, I want you to feel beautiful. I want you to be proud. I, you know, and, and the dressage, the aids are how we help the horse to do that. Interesting. Yes. That's a, that's a slightly different take on it. I love that. Okay. Well, I think, you know, and I, I think that, that the exercises of dressage, you know, when followed in progression and whatnot are, are important because, you know, dressage is, is like a dance. It's, it's, um, you know, whereas horses need to be athletic and need to train to do other things. Right. So we have other sports. Um, and so, you know, they can jump big jumps or they can cut a cow and they need to be fully athletic to do that. And that's a goal oriented story. I need you to be fully athletic. I'm going to train you to do this job. I think dressage is very different because the, it's not really a job. It's, I want you to, I don't want to train you to be the most beautiful carriage of yourself and to show who you are as a horse, like to bring out that personality and that, that poise that the horse has. So the, the goal in dressage is to not lose that while you're athleticizing the horse to get there. To, to, does that make sense? Yeah. And I think like, as you were speaking, I was, I was visualizing for people who are listening to this, who are hunter jumper or who, or who do cut cows that dressage is, is the preparation for the horse to be athletic, right? So yeah, it, in every way for every, it, it helps them exactly. get, get to those goals, to be able to perform those actions, um, athletically. Well, right. And dressage just means training, right? Yeah. So it's a French word that just means fully trained or yeah. trained. So dressage is training. Yeah. Um, and it is a, it's, you know, classical French classical dressage is really where my heart is. Um, and, um, and that's a little bit different from, you know, the German dressage that okay. I think that has taken a little bit more popularity. Okay. So, yeah. So one of the people who have influenced you was the French classical dressage master, Nuno Oliveira. Can mm. you describe how you connected with his teachings and why they were so impressed upon you? So Nuno, I'm a visual learner. I, I do sort of connect to the feeling feelings and, and, um, you know, you have like analytical learners that like sort of like linear, uh, factual, you know, scientific type information. I'm a visual learner, experiential learner. So Nuno has a way of conveying what it feels like when it's right. And so if you, it, by, through reading and studying and watching Nuno, you know, you get to see this connection and you get to sort of feel, he, he, he works in a lot of analogies that really help to, to clarify when something is right. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. He has a very good way of expressing that. Um, he's very descriptive. And I think that Nuno if you look at the work that he did and, you know, he never had the greatest horses, but he made every horse great. Um, he was able to bring out that horse's personality. And so exactly what I was saying about what I think, when I think of dressage in its highest point, it's when we have actually enabled the horse to express itself uh, and in its, in its proud, you know, state. And so I think that like no other um, rider I've witnessed myself through you. I've never met him sadly. Um, but he has the ability to connect at a level that I haven't seen. And he has the ability to make any horse sort of rise up and be proud and, and get the athleticism, but also that poise from them. Um, what Nuno did was he vindicated and he made sense of the French method. And even though it wasn't popular, he was able to sort of experiment in what he called his laboratory. And he would basically say, yes, you know what? This is important, this works, you know? So he kind of galvanized the sort of the French method and made sense of it. And he kind of connected dots. And then he demonstrated 
you know, so that everybody could see and there was no arguing, but this, this is a master. Hmm. So, okay. Can you yeah. briefly help the listeners? Um, can you sum up the difference sort of briefly, the difference between the French classical dressage and the German approach? I can. Um, I hope I don't offend anybody. Oh, that's but, okay. um, so French, so French classical dressage is basically the flexions teaching the horse to understand the connection in the bit is very, very important. Um, so in French classical dressage, we relax the jaw. So the horse has this soft connection with the bit. That's really, really important. Um, comes from a, a, a master by the name of Boucher. And he basically was, he has a system of teaching horses how to understand if you can imagine the bit more like a lozenge or, a, or like Pavlov, if I take the bit, I want you to chew. I want you to, I want you to mobilize your jaw. So any action in the rain is going to bring about some sort of relaxation hmm. through the jaw and the pull. And so now we know, I mean, science is caught up to this. Now we know that that's fundamentally important, that the, that the horse carry themselves in a very relaxed way through the jaw, right? So we have tension in the jaw, you have tension everywhere in the body yep. and it interrupts the movement of the horse. It interrupts the musculature everywhere. So Boucher was the one who decided, who, who came up with the system of teaching the horse how to use the bit in the way that keeps them relaxed, chewing, you know, um, a mobile jaw. And so when you see horses that are they're moving their mouth. They're not chewing, not like grinding on the bit. That's different, but like a chewing and a soft flexion and the, the tongue, the licking and chewing that that's very important. And so that is a key to the French <clears throat> system. And the other thing is that we, there's a, a big focus at the beginning on this hand with no leg and leg with no hand, which comes from La Guerriniere. And basically you're teaching the horse to go to to basically have like a like a a transmission you know like go whoa go whoa like hand leg not together at the very beginning and this is also a very fundamental part of the 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 French classical dressage and I think that both those things are what I see missing in a lot of riding I see a lot of tense tense jaws I see a lot of you know tension through the job and neck back and I see I see that there isn't a lot of impulsion in that the horse is not a front of the leg a lot and so I mean in the in the in the German dressage you know there, there's a focus on forward there's a focus on the you know, horse has to be forward and there's I don't dispute that that's true the horse has to be forward they do that is very important um um I see in the in the German dressage a less focus on sort of this. Not I do again. I don't want to say all German method is 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 showing this. It could be just individual practitioners. I know that there are very good programs out there, um, but there seems to be less of a uh, a focus on teaching the horse how to be soft in the mouth first. I think that's probably one of the biggest. Um, differences. Um, I like to say, like the Germans will say, like you know, use the bicycle method. You know, you need to be forward in order to be balanced. Mm -hmm. And you know, this is true, but you also have to have a well-oiled chain and puffed-up tires, and you know, things need to be right first before you can go at speed. So I would say, forward is not necessarily speed. And so we need to understand what the word forward means. Forward means ahead of the leg, even at the halt. Right. And so I think that maybe there's in some programs, there might be a confusion that forward means go fast. Um, you know, it it means ahead of the leg it, to me in okay. my way of looking at it. Yeah. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. No, so I, I... in the French, too, I think in the French system, too, I think you see a lot more work on the smaller figures and not just the big extended you know, let's do the big arena and big 20 meter circles. I like to focus on the smaller Volte and whatnot. And we'll get into that too. Yeah. Um, but I think that also is a hallmark of the French classical system. Okay. 
All right. Thank you for uh, clarifying that. All right. So I want to switch. I hope gears. I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no problem. I want to switch gears here a bit. I know you have a deep connection to yoga and you've been a practitioner mm. since 2018, but can you put into words the symmetry between yoga and classical dressage? How has yoga helped define or redefine you as a horsewoman? Mm. That's a really big question for me, of course, because that hits really deep. To put into words the symmetry between yoga and classical dressage. So in yoga, you know, we're working on strength, flexibility. So there's two aspects to yoga. There is the physical, right? That most people think of when they think of yoga. They think of the, the physical uh, bending and poses and things like that. We call it the asanas. Um, and then there's the spiritual, the meditative focus in yoga. And though both those things have a direct connection to classical dressage. And, and um, so from, from the physical sense, um, yoga is an, is an athletic, strengthening, flexibility exercise. It really is. It's never done fast. It's done slowly. So very slowly, methodically. And I think that when you, when you look at the purpose of those poses that you do and the yoga exercise, the ancient yogis believed that the flexibility of the spine is in the articulation of the spine is what develops your health and maintains health. So to flex your spine, if you look at how we do yoga, it's in four different directions, right? You always do your poses left, right, and so on. And you flex the spine and extend the spine and twist the spine. And so this is the, all the poses do that. If you look at French classical dressage and dressage, it's exactly what the volte is doing. The volte or the small circle is for the purpose of developing flexibility in the horse so that they are mobile and we can mobilize them and they can have access to, you know, to their whole body in a, in, in, to move freely. So the volte, the small circle, helps develop the flexibility of the spine. It helps the horse walk underneath itself and it's meant to be done slowly, just like yoga. And so the Volte to me is kind of like a yoga mat for horses, teaching them how to relax because it can't be done with tension. It has to be done with relaxation, just like yoga it has to be fully relaxed. And so the Volte to me is the horse's yoga mat and it's transportable too. So you can take, you can develop the bend and flexibility and relaxation um, on this Volte. And you can also take the Volte wherever you go. It's just a small circle. So once the horse understands this space that they've learned to relax in, it's a way to reset them anywhere you go. And I mean, you can, you know, I, I've heard, you know, Western trainers say too, if your horse gets upset, put it on a circle, mm -hmm. right? And I, I think that, you know, where does that come from? You know, what's the history of that? I think that, that that's, that's a volte, that every time when you train your horse to relax itself and really fully, you know, bend and release, then on this circle, then they become, that becomes the reset. That's, okay. that's my experience. It's their safe place. It's, it's their they... safe place. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. And the other thing too, is that in this space that you're in with the horse, it, and again, I, I want to make clear that I think that we have misunderstood what lunging is. Lunging is meant to be done slowly first, very slowly, very meditatively. And you're at the center of that circle. And so you, when you spend, so I'm going to bring this back to my experience with my pepper. When you spend that much time in that relationship with the horse, you're, you're now in their bubble. This is your, this is not only where you, a horse tends, uh, learns to bend its spine. This is now where you develop your relationship with the horse in a very calm, relaxed space. And so now you're the center of that horse's sense of relaxation and partnership and then from there springs everything else you do hmm. okay lunging to me is not sending a horse around fast lunging to me is yoga 
with horses. All right. So there's different aspects of your work with them that relates to your yoga experience. So like, how has, how has yoga redefined you as a horsewoman? Like, did, do you find that your time on the mat sort of like, do you have these aha moments as you come to the horses that you work with or the students that you work with? Is it a, is it a constant evolution? Well, I first started doing yoga because I had a terrible accident and I broke, I think, four or five ribs in my side and I had to rehab that. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to heal up in a sort of not straight kind of way. I wanted to make sure I, I was symmetrical because of course, you know, my biggest goal was I need to get back in the saddle. (laughs) So, so I, I, I started doing yoga exercises to make sure that I, I kept my alignment. I kept, you know, my straightness and I healed up my body. And through that, I, you know, did a lot of meditation and that connected me to when I, so physically it put me back in the saddle, but spiritually when I went through the program and I, you know, we had to do quite a bit of meditation and that sort of brings you, you know, to a place where your, you know, the goal of that is to connect, you know, to something bigger than yourself. Um, and that's the other side of yoga. This, the spiritual side of yoga is, you know, sort of seeing yourself as part of something bigger than yourself, you know, and connecting to that. And what I discovered is that for me, it's horse. It, it always has been. It's just, I am, I don't know how to explain it, but everything that came through to me in my meditations were horse. And for me, that was a real light because it was like, wow, you know, horse is my yoga. So it's, it's not just something I do. It's who I am. That is so cool. I'm loving that. Yeah. And it was a big realization to me because I've been fighting it for a long time. And so through through my yoga, I realized, no, this is who you are. You're connected to something far greater than you understand and you need to honor it. Exactly. I mean, even since you were a little kid, but you know, as as in that moment where you realized it, I mean, how can you do anything but continue on the path that you're on or just follow where it leads you because you're, you're living your life's purpose. Right. I am now. And, and, but the hard thing is when you're sort of, you know, when you're raising a family and you have children and you have financial responsibilities and like, how do you honor that? Like that, Mm -hmm. that for me as a child, it was obvious, but as I sort of went through life, you know, it was harder. And again, I didn't grow up in an equestrian family, so it wasn't something that really was promoted. It was kind of like, well, this is your hobby, you know, that's what right. you do. But for me, it was a lot more than that. And so I managed to kind of put it aside. When I went back into yoga, I realized it was like a big kind of wake up call. It's like, you can't put this aside. This is who you are. You have to honor it. That is so cool, which perfectly leads us to the next question. So, <laughs> Yeah. When you left your job as a school teacher to respond to your authentic voice and get into the equestrian industry as a full-time teacher there, how did you work through that process when you called both crushing and terrifying? Yeah. Wow. Um, this is again, a very deep, you know, personal conversation, right? It, I mean, I am grateful for the time I ha- have spent as a elementary school teacher. I'm, I, it was, it certainly helped me cut my skills. Um, working as a professional developed me, developed my character, developed stamina. Um, I, I think I do. There is a long list of teachers in our family. So my grandmother's a teacher. Uh, I have aunts and uncles that are teachers. So teaching is in my blood. And so it made sense. It was a good career for me. I felt, you know, that I was always like I was walking on two sides of a river every day. You know, um, we're here at the farm and I, I've got this urge and this nudge and I, I'm doing this thing with the horses, but I have to cross this river 
to go to my job to enable all this to happen. And, and this river just became torrent. Like it was like just hard to cross, you know? Um, and it, it was very apparent to me that I, I, I had to, you know, at some point it was like a, a lobster outgrowing its shell. Like I need to make a pivot here. I, I brought horses, I should say too, into the classroom, not physically, but I did so many things that was horse centered, you know, um, it was, it was fun. I was the horse crazy teacher. Um, and so I, I lit up the classroom a lot with that passion and, and the kids, you know, we, we built like a, a full-sized horse puppet named Traveler. Um, and we did shows, you know, it, it like kids would operate. It took three of them to operate. And I, I would, um, I would, I had a really good medieval times unit where we used to do paper mache horse heads and the kids would like, you know, have dressage competition. It was funny. Yeah. Um, and we did, but as much as, you know, I loved teaching, it became apparent to me that um, it was, it was, I was being called to do, to do the horses full time. So I had to pivot. And I think that it was hard enough. And then COVID, right? COVID put a lot of pressure um, on a lot of systems. Teaching was one of them. And I felt that. And so I was getting very tired. Um, and it was, again, very, very important to me to start thinking about pivoting. Then what happened was I almost lost one of my sons and I had to take some time off. And, and at that point, I recognized that in order to be here for my family and be as strong as I needed to be to get to help my son through um, his difficulty, I had to be, I had to be strong. And and it was my sister that my sister's a doctor. She came and stayed with us during this traumatic time. And um, she noticed that I just re-energized when I went to the horses like that. She she witnessed it and she was just like, oh, Lise, you know, you've got to do this. You this is this is what you need in your life. Like this is your fountain of energy and you need to find a way. And so I think that that was the last push for me. That was like my sister saying nope, I see it now. It's, you can't ignore this any longer. You've got to make this your life because you need it right now. And, and, and so that at that point, I just, I had to, I had to sort of go secure income versus passion. I have to pivot. Now's the time going to do it. So it was a bit of a leap of faith. Um, Good you know, you. I've been doing horses for years, just not sort of just kind of moonlighting or professionally. And I've been studying for years, just not making that leap. Um, my partner, Dan, uh, was a huge boost as well, because he basically said, you just do it, we'll figure it out. Aww. So yeah. when you have people in your life like that, behind you, and, and they can see that you have to do it, it helps <laughs> push you. Yes. So you had to fly. Well, good for you. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly, it's not easy when you've got to trust what's there after you make the decision, but I don't know. I I'm a firm believer that when it's that strong, when your passion's that strong yeah. and it's that much of a calling, there's nothing that's going to stop you. And even if there is a little speed bump or a roadblock, yeah. it's only going to be temporary because something's going to get figured out. Yeah. Yeah. And I read a few books, you know, that helped on pivoting. That was one of the ways I worked through it. You know, I did, I did sit down and, and, um, you know, um, learn about things that I should have in place. Um, and I, one of the, one of the things that I learned, you know, just one of the things is that, you know, to just focus on, on helping, like being a helper Yes. Um, and lifting other people up, you know, this was a really good focus for me. And it, and I think that when, when, you know, for anybody else who's wanting to pivot or whatever, having struggling, when you are authentic and you focus on helping people, you can't fail. Yeah. That's, I guess, one of the things that keeps me going and that I, I truly believe. That's awesome. You know, um, I don't know, I kind of link it to living a life of service. You know, yeah. when, when your life is that of service and it's surrounded with a passion and this connection that you really can't explain. It just kind of happens. It does. Yeah, it does. And, 
you know, that, that is what keeps you going. Like it, it, if it's just, you know, I think you're right. Like it can't be money focused. It can't, I think that it, when you, when you're working from your passion and you're honoring, if it's, if you're authentic and it's coming authentic, authentically, and you're trying to help people solve problems or be of service, I think that's where it's a flow. I like the idea of flow. When something flows, you go with it. Yeah. Flow is really important. And it's important with horses too. Yep. Absolutely. You know, if something's resisting, sometimes, you know, you have to figure out, like, I always like to think about a, a drop, a, a drop of water and how it finds its way down a window. You know, it never stops. It might, but it, it goes around, right? Like that's flow, true. You know, you just, it's going to find its way. Yeah. Right? And so sometimes I remind myself of that, you know, it's okay. going to find its way. You have to find the flow. That's right. That's a very, very good metaphor. I like that. <laughs> All right. So can you tell us how you see the dynamics of the horse rider relationship working? What do people need to understand about themselves before they can grasp that relationship better? Hmm. Gosh, there's so much there. Oh, I hope I hit all the points I want to talk about. Um, so the dynamic of the horse and rider relationship, like that's a, that's a big question. So I'm going to, you know, what needs to happen? The, the, the French classical dressage is for the purpose of creating a riding horse. Like the, that's, what, that's what it's designed to do. You know, because horses can be used for all kinds of things. But the French classical dressage, the purpose of that is to create a, a riding horse, somebody, a horse that can carry load on its back. I would say that horses need to be prepared before they have a rider. They need to be strong in the back. They need to have certain things like going back to that bicycle, need to have the chain well oiled. The tires need to be pumped up or you're going to wreck the rims. So when when the horse has been prepared for the rider, um, the dynamic of riding is a lot easier. Um, when the horse is balanced, they're not trying to find their balance. When they're truly balanced and forward in that they're not deviating, then the dynamic has more um, ease. If you put a rider on a horse that's not balanced and not forward, then the dynamic tends to be a tug of war about trying to find that balance. And having people try to learn the aids or how to ride on a horse that's not already strong and balanced is, I think, a, a never ending tug of war. It results in tension in the horse and injury and frustration in the rider. And it, it also results in the aids becoming too loud when they don't need to be. That's a really important part of what I do. I, I really do help people develop their horse on the ground as well as under saddle. So we want to make sure the horse has the strength, the understanding that you are not getting a resistance of force when we're using the aids, that they're soft and relaxed and round. You see this more in Europe you know, where horses are, seem to be trained more before they're ridden and sold. Um, but I think that that's something we could learn here is a little bit more how to prepare the horse to be a riding horse. So that when you say the word dynamic, um, what we don't want to see is the dynamic of struggle and, you know, a tug of war of balance, because really a lot of the deviations that we see with riders and their horses at the beginning is this, I believe the horse is off balance because when a horse is balanced and round and strong, they don't deviate and it's a lot easier to ride. Yep. Does that make sense? Oh my goodness, totally. And yeah. you know, as as an equine massage therapist and our EMT, I can I can feel my hands. I'm not even touching a horse right now and I can feel exactly what you're talking about. Right. And, and how it gets displayed in the horse's body. Um, yeah. You know, and, and the riders are doing their best. The riders oh, for are doing sure. their best, yeah. the horses are doing their best. But yeah, when you put those packages together before fully prepared, I can totally see what you're talking about and feeling. Yeah, it, it's like getting on a bike before the tires are pumped up. Like it's going to cause some structural problems. Like, yeah. so 
why not spend the investment in learning how to develop horses so that they have the musculature and the strength and the balance first? And I think that's what we used to do, but for whatever reason, we've, we've kind of rushed. Um, and I don't know, you know, a lot of reasons why certain good principles and good tools have been thrown away. I think we need to revisit the lunge. That would be one of my uh, strongest recommendations that horses are prepared better in hand before they're being ridden. Mm -hmm. And then, and then even when they're ridden, there's no reason why you can't continue to work a horse in hand to develop it, to, to, to make sure that their relaxation's there, make sure that you're, you know, you know, doing your inspection, see like, how are things working and, and constantly monitoring um, their balance and strength and whatnot. It's, it should be, there should be all of this happening, not just getting on and riding for an hour and getting off putting horse in the stall or whatever, because I think horses need more than that. Well, and what about the whole process of, you know, like developing a horse, here's your trajectory. And yes, you may level out every once in a while and it goes back up. But I found that sometimes when I'm massaging horses that are at the upper level, their bodies are almost so balled up in that frame that they're expected to be in all the time that they need to come back down to that mm start level every once in a while, right? To either give their body a break, to give their mind a break, to let their muscles and their joints and everything move in a different way. Do you know what I mean? Like, I do. like back to the baby basics, which yeah. then just increases their longevity, their enjoyment of the sport, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Well, a horse is not designed to be, to be holding ramené and, and full collection for static periods of time. It's mm -hmm. supposed to be something that is like an accordion. Like the horse should be, when you have an athleticized horse, they should be able to fully express themselves in any outline you, you allow them to be in. So the full stretch, you know, there's no, it's not by accident that that's got a coefficient of two when you're, when you want to have that stretchy trot, yeah. right? They should be able, if you give them the rein, to stretch all the way down and carry themselves balanced. And how do we know they're balanced? They don't speed up. Right. They keep the same rhythm. And so that is a very difficult, it's a very good and proper thing to do is to be able to give the horse different lengths of rein. And, and it should, you know, be an elastic, what they call an elastic connection. Mm -hmm. And so, and so the horse should have this elastic ability. And it should, this should be preserved and maintained all through its training yeah. so that when, you know, certainly when I work horses, I don't out ask them to be in a certain um, expression for very, for too long, right? Because it gets dull, first of all, and, it, you know, we don't want the horse to cramp up and get tight. We want the horse to be, again, bringing it back to the yoga, always yeah. flexing, extending the spine so that it has full, uh, ability to maneuver in every direction relaxed that's awesome that's awesome all right so let's get talking about some of this working equitation you've put yourself at the leading edge of the new sport of working equitation following your passion to set an ambitious goal of developing working equitation in north america can you briefly sum up what it is, why it's important, and what it is about working equitation that gets you so pumped up? Mm -hmm. Honestly, what gets me so pumped up when I see working equitation is <laughs> when I was at the World Championships in France, you know, there's a phase in working equitation where you work cattle. Um, this is usually only at the higher levels or at the championship shows or whatever. You don't have that phase in all the shows. But here I am at the World Championships in France and, you know, there's a team of four and they they pen their cow and they celebrate by doing one tempies with one hand. And, you know, and it's just the relaxation, the level of dressage and training that these horses have that's just freely there and they're ready to offer it to celebrate. We pen the cow. I'm going to do a piaf now. You know? <laughs> and it, it's just it's just, to me, that gets me pumped up, you know, because I just feel that the joy in both the, the competitor and their horse, you know, when I see stuff like that, because um, after the dressage, after the, in the awards round, they're doing one tempies around the ring. Like, it's just nothing, you know, like, hey, you know, so that gets me pumped up. 
Um, so let me tell you a little bit about working equitation. So it's a it's a sport that <clears throat> originates in Europe. Um, and uh, basically, there's four phases to working equitation. It's um, we have the it's based on classical dressage. So there is a dressage phase. And then there is a phase called ease of handling, which is obstacles. But the obstacles are basically, you know, the functional dressage. So the way that the ease of handling is judged is just like dressage, except now you have these tasks that are that are set up based on the figures of the classical dressage. So you'll see the Volte is predominantly expressed in a lot of these obstacles. Um, and, and so we're looking at how the horse maneuvers, how their training is while they perform these obstacles. It's Again, it's marked very much like dressage. There's a third phase in working equitation, which is the obstacle course against the clock. So at this point, it's really no longer about dressage. It's just about do the obstacles and don't disqualify and okay. get the fastest score. So now we have sort of like the, the partnership of we got to get this done. Like this is a, this is, you know what I mean? This doesn't have to be pretty now. Let's get it done. So the horse has to be there and ready and just the impulsion, you know, um, the obedience of the horse. Um, and then the last phase in working equitation is it's cutting and penning, team cool. penning. Mm -hmm. That sounds like fun. And, you know, when I was listening to Chet talk, he was talking about how there's like the dry versus the, you know, that the cows bring out the intensity of the horse. Yes. And, and I think that that's, I like the cattle phase because it gives it basically it's the why for the dressage. Like the horse needs all those maneuvers, you yes. know, the better the dressage, the better they're going to be able to, to do their job with the cows. So, and so cool. and it yeah. is, it is, it is. Cause if you look at the dressage phase, it, Sometimes the horses are going, you know, you, it lacks the expression that you're going to get those same maneuvers in the cattle phase. Yeah. The cattle phase, you're going to see, wow, now that's got intensity, right? Oh. So when you put it all together, I think it helps people see the relevance of what they're doing. And what I hear from people, my horse loves this, <laughs> you know, it's kind of bringing that fire back into the purpose of why mm -hmm. we do these things and both for riders and horses because the riders start to you know why do we do turns like well you need to do a turn to get your horse you know on this gate or mm -hmm. to maneuver this obstacle um and it it helps riders to realize the relevance of their aids and how to help the horse and so it makes them better riders wow. and then it it also gives the horses something fun to do and look at. I've seen a lot of horses light up with the obstacles. Really? Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, it brings in an element of play. I mean, mm -hmm. why not give them something different to do than the other, like, oh, same old, same old, we do with them all the time. So this is almost yeah. bringing in a couple of different um, disciplines, is it not, into this it, working? It's, and so it's going to kind of bring people together with their horses too. It's the bridge between disciplines really cool. because all disciplines can do this all tack you know there are there are some tack you have to you know that are not accepted in the ring but you know western uh portuguese spanish english dressage anybody can compete in this sport in their tack so though it does bring a lot of people together and you know i was just going to make a point like in in teaching you know we we go from concrete to abstract so you know, if you're going to teach subtraction, use counters, you know, because the abstract idea of subtraction is, is hard for kids to comprehend. So they do it concrete first. I could say the same thing about the ease of handling and the obstacles is that, you know, when you go from a concrete, when you bring people to a concrete and say, you need to do a circle around this thing here, it's easier for people to have that reference point to see if their circle is actually a circle. You know, the dressage ring is more abstract. Mm -hmm. And that's, that I think sometimes is where people get kind of stuck and they, they lose their fire, you know, or it's not as relevant. They can't quite comprehend. You put the obstacles there as a reference point to the dressage. All of a sudden things start to make more sense. Hmm. Yeah, I could see that. If that makes sense. Especially for people who are visual. Right. Like you said, 
you know, yeah. trying to trying to map out that 10 meter circle at, you know, E or B can be like, you know, trying to find yourself out of a wet paper bag for some people. Yeah, it can be abstract. Yeah. You know? um, so so the obstacles can really help with that. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. And, and definitely, you know, uh, we see a lot of Western people getting involved and this is great. That is very exciting. Yeah. You mentioned Chet Martin. That was an episode I did with him a while ago. Um, hilarious. He is so intelligent and inspiring and he sure, he, he sure is. Yes. So I could, you said you guys have talked about him coming out and trying some of this. I hope he does. He said he had an interest in it. So we'll oh, see. He's very busy though. Yeah, that would be yeah. amazing. I'd love to see him come out. All right. Yeah. So your love of learning and educating clearly didn't end when you retired from the classroom as you talk about how you still thrive from your mentor-mentee relationships and how you want to make sure that knowledge gets passed along. What is it about being a conduit of information that gives you such purpose? Yeah, I have no idea. I think it's probably because I, I come from a long line of teachers. And so I guess my purpose, I, I feel that that helping is part of my purpose, right? You know, I, I, I was very good in the classroom at, at being an experiential learner. So, I mean, I, I, I would do, you know, I would bring in, uh, I would take concepts that we were learning about and I would allow kids to, to do it, like really experience it. Like in, you know, we did, I used snow building for teaching forces and structures, you know, so we'd go out and we'd build you know, snow. Of course, they had to build a horse that would, you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> Let's build bridges. Let's turn the bridge into a horse. Let's see how big we can make the horse. How many people can you fit on your horse? How good is, awesome. you know, your your art? You know, like, and so we had a lot of fun. Again, like I said, we made puppets and we did baking and um, they even made, you know, model chicken. So I, I've always been very, very passionate about experiencing. So, I mean, because knowledge is it's it's information plus experience i don't think people really get things until they experience it so you can take information and you can read it but it doesn't become knowledge until you can take that information and add experience to it so i think that to me that that's where i i find i can help is because i can take the information I've, I've been studying the information and i've been applying the information and so I have experience to be able to help people um, because it's hard. There's a lot of information out there. And, and I think that, you know, a lot of people are kind of looking for answers. A lot of people are sort of reading, but it's hard to take that off the page um, and take all the information and apply it to what you're doing with your horse. It's just information until you can turn it into experience. Right. And then it becomes knowledge. And it's like you get your aha moments through that. Do you find... So sorry do you do you, do you find that your ability to perhaps simplify things for people kind of puts a different take on it for them and makes it a little easier to to experience I think so and I, and it can also help people I think I have a little bit of the visual descriptive way of doing things so I can help people feel when they have it right and identify when they have it right you know, and so that it becomes theirs at that point, because they're experiencing it. And so to turn the information into experience is, I think, something that I have a lot of experience with. <laughs> so I can take information and find, you know, when teaching, we, we have to figure out how our learners learn. And I have a lot of experience with that. So I can, I can find multiple entry points to help people be able to, you know, understand information and then turn that into experience. So then that they own it now. Yeah, that's theirs. They've got that. I did that. I know what it feels like, you know, um, for the simplest thing, like, you know, a shoulder in, like, you know, you know, you've been told how to do it. How do you know when you have it? Mm -hmm. If nobody's wow. standing there behind you to tell you that you're in shoulder in, how do you know you're in shoulder in? Mm -hmm. So those type of descriptive um, that feedback that the students need to get their aha moments is what I focus on. So well, that then I then I think your connection to yoga would come right into there because you know to to suggest to the to the riders like okay I want you to feel I want you to absorb what it is that you are 
feeling right now Mm -hmm. so that you have that to draw on, right? To sort of go inward for a moment and, and get a sense of self in that moment of trying to do that shoulder in, correct? Oh yeah. And you know what? You got to get out of your head. Yeah. You have to get out of your head. You can't be thinking about doing shoulder in while you're doing shoulder in like, right. You, 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 so the, where the yoga comes in there too, is that I, you know, just relax and breathe and be in that moment, that space. And that brings it back to my prepare that space. Hmm. You have to be in the space with your horse. Horses are not analytical thinkers. They're very somatic feeling sentient beings. And so they, they're listening that's this is one of the most important things I want to get across here is that horses are listening. They're very good listeners. We need to listen because they're giving us an answer to our question. And oftentimes, when we're thinking too analytically and we're not in that space, in what I call the zone, the partnership that beautiful partnership that we have that space that needs to be protected that we were all as children we want to be in that space we have to protect that space we have to breathe and be aware and less is more this is certainly something Nuno has said less is more be calm be quiet and listen and the horse will tell you their answer and then you have to let them know they got it right so that helps me the yoga that is what yoga is it's like being connected being connected to that space but it's also the somatic awareness right so understanding how to move your body in balance is also a, a you know a big part of yoga so that helps me coach riders so like i might give them different things to think about while they're riding okay. that might help them yeah yeah All right. So just to follow up to that, you say there's a lot of work to be done regarding um, the working equitation and your role here, um, developing it in uh, Ontario, in Canada, North America. Um, Mm. What are the next steps you see in the near future? For the working equitation? Yeah. Or just, Um, yeah. Yeah. So um, first, I mean, firstly, like the reason why I get so fired up with working equitation, of course, is that it it does sort of build on the classical dressage. So for me, it's a way to, to get that grand reset. You know, let's go back and look at the history and where things were and how we do, like, let's bring back some of the classical principles, the good training. And that I think that that's where the work is because the, the working equitation demands the horse to be working in a smaller space to be, you know, flexible and relaxed and, you know, it's a working horse. So you, you don't want tension, right? You want the horse to be, to be relaxed and available and flexible and have impulsion. And so those are things that need to be trained. Um, And the work I think is to help people who are interested in the sport um, to, to, to go back to basics and develop that connection, develop the, the horse so that they're you know flexible and relaxed and round able to work um that that's part of it that i see that as my goal um and then building the sport you know a lot of people might have heard of working equitation um seen it on youtube interested in working equitation um playing with working equitation um because it, it's great for training um but the actual sport takes work. So how do you lay the groundwork for a sport to develop? You know, so people, you know, that, that part takes work. That's what's taking up a lot of my time right now. Um, And sort of, you know, getting the, getting the community together and building the sport of working equitation. So people can go out and try it and have fun with it. I'm working a lot um, through the organization and, and with my, my own business doing that. Well, it sounds like you've definitely, when you talk about, you know, listening to your authentic voice and making that decision to retire because there was something else calling you or pulling you, like, sounds like you're at exactly where you're meant to be. You're you're at the beginning of this and you've got so much enjoyment in it and purpose behind it. It's very exciting. Yeah, it really is. What's really exciting too, is how fast it's growing. Um, 
it really, it's catching fire. Like people really love this sport all over the world. Um, you know, we have Ingrid Klimke is training, Margot Timmerman, you know, Pedro Torres. These are big riders who, you know, are coming to the sport after dressage or, you know, using dressage to go to the sport. You know, um, it, it's just, you know, you see a lot of top riders now really cross training and getting into it. It's, it's really lovely to see. I love that. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay, so last question here. With all the work that you say that is left to be done and the fact that you still want to put your boots back on and get into the show ring, what is Lise LeBlanc doing to look after herself to make sure she's still got the energy energy to chase all these goals down? Oh my gosh. Oh, right now, I I I, I don't know how to answer that question. I'm working very, very hard. Um, and so, but the way I look at it, you know, you have to build the ship before you can sail it. Mm-hmm. Right. So gathering people around you who are also interested, again, it's that lifting other people up, like providing for other people. I get excited and re-energized when I know I'm helping. And so with all the new people that come to the sport that that are smiling and saying, I've never had so much fun. You know, my horse is never this just energizes me. So it does look after me. Right. So just the work I'm doing is is definitely energizing me because it is authentically what I want to do it it it's just a really good uh fit for me so I am working really hard to lay the ground down for the sport and I think that we're getting a really great community to be involved here um in Ontario in Canada North America the community is amazing and that is going to be I think that's my focus right now I'm I want to get my licenses so I can judge the sport, but I'm actually more interested in just building the sport, nice. bringing people together. That is actually my biggest reward is seeing it grow, seeing the smiles, seeing the people excited about it. And then I think once the ship is built, I will, I will put my boots on and I will show and, and, and I'm good, really looking forward to that. My horses are quite young, so um, they have time. Oh, well, I'm excited to see what you do. And, uh, and, you know, like you said, you're working super hard right now. Um, You're going with the flow. And -hmm. when that energy is there, and you feel energized, you know, Mm -hmm. yes, like there's, there's that need for good sleep and hydration and all that kind of stuff. But with your yoga background and experience, I'm sure you take time to the mat. Do you still do that? Oh, yes. Yeah. So that helps you out. And with my own horses, I'm training and developing my own horses. And I, my time with them is my yoga as well. So I have to look after my, my physical and mental self and my spiritual self. But a lot of that is just working with my horses too. Yeah. Um, And of course I have a fabulous partner who looks after me. So I'm very blessed that way. Um, You know, I'm, I even have, you know, fantastic friends and, and clients that, that, I don't know. They're so warm and they, they look after me too. So it's, <laughs> I'm in good, I'm in good hands. That awesome. way. I'm very blessed. Yeah. Well, that's very exciting. So can you please share with the listeners everything that you can, as far as if they're interested in reaching out to you and finding out more about work, working equitation, any of your um, social media sites or websites or anything like that, or if you've got upcoming events coming up. Mm-hmm. Well, the biggest thing that comes to mind is our our big working equitation expo at the Ancaster Fairground, May 25th to 28th. And so this is basically an exhibition, Can-Am, bringing the community together. What is working equitation? A lot of people are wondering, like, what is it? I've seen it on YouTube. I don't know anything about it, but it looks fun. Go go find out. Like, this is this is a great place. We have an international judge coming, uh, Antonio Vicente from... Portugal, and we have Doreen Atkinson coming from United States, who's a senior judge, and they're here to help grow the community. They want to see it grow. They're passionate. They're just as passionate as I am. Wonderful. It's going to be an educational event. We're training judges. We're training TDs. We're training show management. Uh, people can come out and try their 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 hand at working equitation. There's clinics um, and auditing space. It's it's going to be a great event. Um, 
This is put on by the Ontario Society for Working Equitation, and we have a Facebook page at OS Working Equitation. You can find information about what we're doing there. We're going to have a show series this year. A uh, few local barns, few barns across Ontario are, are signing up to hold a clinic and a show. Okay. Um, so that's that's going to be great. Um, it's going to hopefully attract some new riders from all disciplines. Um, even gated breeds can show working equitation. Um, we have a gated division in Ontario society. So that's kind of cool. Um, I can be reached at lisleblanc.com or I do clinics. I can come out and do uh, lessons as well. Um, and uh, I can do uh, work with classical dressage as well as working equitation. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we'll put all of your information in the show notes um, so people can look you up and on social media when we post uh, post this episode. Thank you so much. This has been a wonderful experience. It's been very educational. And I love, I wrote down one quote you said that knowledge is information plus experience. I think that's going to be sticking with me for a while. So, oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm glad yeah. I could help. And uh, yeah, it was truly an honor being here. And I just thank you so much for, for inviting me. Well, this has been exciting. I'm looking forward to seeing all the wonderful things that you do. Thank you so much. Thank you. So there you have it. I have some great interviews lined up for future episodes, and we'll be covering some pretty interesting topics, as always, with the intent to open and engage the horse world on a wide variety of issues. So until next time, keep your eyes forward and continue to hit your stride. To stay current with Hitting Your Stride, subscribe on my website or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. If you like what you've heard here today, make sure you share and leave a comment to help guide future episodes and widen the audience. And be sure to check out social media to keep up to date with Equestrian Elements Life Coaching.